0: Okay, we are live. Welcome to another episode. of They must be destroyed on sight, and uh, we have the whole crew here. Uh, despite our uh, best betting, uh, we put we put forward. I think we all might have lost on this one because <laughs> we didn't think we didn't think Paul was going to show up for this one. Although he, you know, he came back in his usual style and fast forwarded this film. But, uh, you know, fast-forwarded like a motherfucker, and he didn't didn't even have to watch it on a Region 2 DVD this time, so that's good.
1: That's always nice.
0: Yeah, but uh, I I am, of course, I am joined by my co-host. I'm your host, Lee Russell. We're joined by Daniel Harper and Paul Romali. How are you gentlemen doing tonight?
1: On vacation.
0: Yeah, well, shit, there you go.
1: Nicely done, yeah. No, I'm... I'm still unemployed, so I guess you can call that a vacation. right? You're on
2: vacation too.
0: <laughs> My brain is on vacation all the time. So this time around, we're gonna just do uh, one movie, which is uh, nice for me. So it gives me a lot less work at the end of the day. But it's gonna be one of Daniel's picks. It's gonna be Punch Drunk Love, P.T. Anderson film with Adam Sandler. Before we get into that, though, uh, I'm gonna get really quick into the one comment we got from hold on, last hold on. week. Is it from Greg? It is from Greg, yes.
1: Oh my god, how did I predict that?
0: I don't know. Uh, and it is from our our last uh, episode in our sort of initial look at the Italian horror genre. He says, I also watched Lumberjack Man recently, and although I quite uh, enjoyed it, it left me feeling somewhat underwhelmed. It has all the great traits of an 80s slasher, but I just didn't feel that it came together. Worth watching, but sadly not the second coming of 80s horror. And I agree, that was sort of generally my thoughts of it. It it didn't quite do anything. Like, it it tried to be kind of funny and meta and retro to a certain degree, and it didn't really pull it off all that well. But, you know, it has a lot of tits in it. So, I mean, you know, it's it's still a win-win in that regard. He said, Nightmare City was okay, kind of silly, but I find most Italian horror to be similarly so. I found it funny how they made sure that when most of the women were being killed, their shirts were torn open. In fact, I think a few of them were killed more than once, which, yeah, I think I mentioned in the episode there, they uh, sort of got the, the those dancing girls, maybe a couple of them were killed, like, once or twice. <laughs> I think I, I think
2: I saw at least the same, uh, n- like, nanny at least once. Yeah. <laughs> twice, rather.
0: Yeah. And he says, I actually really enjoy Torso, and it was probably the best giallo I've seen to date. It starts off with uh, enough nudity to make softcore porn movie, and it continues to be a legitimately interesting mystery movie. It also has quite a few slasher leanings, which might explain why I'm so fond of it. Cheers. Uh, Yeah, thank you, Greg. I definitely agree. I think after revisiting uh, Torso, it is probably one of the best of the ones we watched that month. It's probably one of the better giallos actually, although, you know, it's only got sort of like the bare bones giallo element. And it's sort of bordering into slasher territory, but there's a lot of deeper stuff going on in that film than a lot of a lot of its contemporaries. So
2: I still think he could have did better next time. Put more thought in your comment. <laughs>
0: <Suck>. <laughs> I, I can already tell that uh, Paul has had a few beers.
1: He's on vacation. Usually, usually he's at work when he does this, right? So uh, yeah, yeah, having yeah. a
2: few beers.
0: Yeah. Well, what are you drinking right now, Paul?
2: The 2X IPA from Southern Tier.
0: Nice. Yeah. And what are you a, drinking, Daniel?
1: Yet again, Founder Centennial. It's my go-to right now. There's oh, and then, cans for like $16, so, you know.
0: And I'm yeah. doing a uh, Lagunitas Hop Stupid. Ooh,
1: I
2: don't oh. know, I didn't care for that beer as much <laughs> as I wanted to, but Lagunitas makes great stuff.
0: I, I think it's pretty solid. Pretty I must beer. have
2: got... I, the thing is, I could have got an old bottle. It's Pennsylvania. Fresh fresh on the shelf is eight months old, so.
0: (laughs) All right, uh, so I guess we can uh, move on now to... uh, Actually, I just want to take a quick second to thank any new viewers, our viewers, listeners that we have, uh, because we've sort of jumped up, like we've basically doubled our audience essentially from what I can tell within the last three months. Greg's due just to, downloading it twice. I mean, that's that's all. Or it could be, could be. Uh, no, but but honestly, due to sort of the pimping that Daniel and Paul and I have been doing, um, and also some nice shout outs from uh, Stu from the Midnight Movie Cowboys and Corey from Slaughter Film, it seems like we've actually sort of caught on maybe some new regular listeners. Uh, so thank you very much for listening to us. It's just a matter of time before I get us on iTunes. I'm just very, very fucking slow with stuff like this. I'm a procrastinator. But eventually we'll get on iTunes. Hopefully that will expand our audience a little bit more. But it's it's very nice to uh, see this many people listening to us. Uh, the last episode that we did, or I did actually, the uh, the uh, Halloween radio show with uh, Lee Van Teeth, that is our highest uh, viewed epi- or listened episode right now. It's up to 63 views or something on our Podbean site right now. Probably about 40 or so, I think, unique visitors altogether. So, pretty good.
2: Your and, uh, YouTube site is doing very well.
0: Yeah, I noticed that. Daniel mentioned that, too, as well, uh, earlier on. This is very, very cool. Very nice to see. Uh, I think Daniel and I come from the same sort of school of thought that we didn't think our podcasts were going to maybe get any more than maybe a handful of fucking uh, listeners. And it's nice to see us both, uh, both our podcasts actually, getting a little bit of uh, an audience growing. So it's it's really good stuff. I, I really like that.
1: Yeah, no, no. It's, it's, it's great to know that I'm not just uh, watching all these terrible uh, movies just to... Uh, Talking to the void. I mean, I love talking to you guys too, but like, I'd be like, "Yeah, let's go watch something." I would, it's, I would take it even less seriously. I might just fast it's forward. It's enough. It's enough
2: to, the it's enough it to know. It's enough to know that you're entertaining Greg, but <laughs> right. you're entertaining
1: more people. I'm entertaining Greg and Greg's wife. You know, I'm. I'm
0: gonna. You know, yeah. just...
1: <sighs> Greg is yeah. married. I have no
0: idea. Well, he's engaged. He, he he's actually, engaged, yeah, and they yeah,
2: sleep yeah. in separate beds like they're in the
1: 50s. <laughs> well and apparently download their podcast separately, you know. <laughs> so yeah. Exact
2: that's more views. That's Yeah, all that yeah.
1: Matters. That's how we go, yeah. No. As long as as long as if you listen twice, download twice. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, uh definitely uh thanks to anyone new who's listening. Uh if you want to leave comments and questions, suggestions, whatever, please, please do. We want to interact with our audience, so uh the the more the merrier. Uh, even if it's a negative criticism, if if you want to just say we suck, fucking leave a fucking message. We just want to know that the audience is actually watching and actually gives a fuck to either hate us or love us. Indifference, indifference is the fucking death. Like that's the worst possible thing is indifference. So, yeah. There you go. We can move on to uh, what we've uh, watched uh, recently, or purchased, and uh, I know Daniel has a couple things he wants to mention, so I'll go to you first, sir. Uh... I
1: only have one. I know you guys expected me not to have anything, so I I went out of my way to watch something just so I'd have something to say during this section of the podcast, and believe it or not, I watched Star Crash from 1978. Oh, nice! YouTube, yes. Uh, We should totally do some uh, cheesy sci-fi movies at some point. Um, especially ones with um a lead young lady with uh, basically wearing a, a leather bikini for the bulk mm-hmm. of the Carolyn Monroe, Carolyn Monroe and uh, yes. and, uh I, I will say that it was it was on the strength of her acting talents uh, that, I, that I did watch the film. Overall, yeah, it's it's kind of a kind of a dumb movie. I mean it's a Star Wars ripoff, it's a Flash Gordon ripoff, and it's a Barbarella ripoff all at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good at that. I enjoyed it. It's it's dumb. It does have a uh, robot uh, Texan sheriff character, <laughs> which is uh, the most surreal element I've seen in a movie West, a little this Westworld. year. Even even more so than uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. If Beyond the Black Rainbow <laughs> it had a robotic sheriff <laughs> that spoke in a Texan drawl, I think that would be that would really put that movie over the edge for me. You
3: just
2: put, <laughs> you, you just put Westworld in my head.
1: Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Westworld is one we should probably cover at some point, but know yeah. um, it was it was a pretty decent little watch. David Hasselhoff is in it as uh-huh. a, uh, kind of the, the third lead. I mean, I don't know. It's one I think we could talk about at some point. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk too much. And uh, Christopher Plummer, the great Christopher mm-hmm. Plummer, has
0: yes yeah, sl- slumming it for booth money. <laughs>
1: hey, you know I I read the Wikipedia page for the uh, for the movie, and uh, he basically said. He was he was quoted at some convention or something where he basically said, "I get to go to Rome for three days, and that was all I mm-hmm. cared about, and that was it." Like, hey, I'm down, Christopher Plummer, and you're good in the movie, so whatever.
0: Yeah, uh, and of course that was also directed by the same uh, person who did Contamination, which we covered last uh, month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it Louis all links together.
2: It all links together. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Okay, Paul, anything you've uh, watched or purchased in the last week or so?
2: Well, I'll go back a little bit, and I watched They Came From Beyond Space, which is a, uh, I watched it with Elvira, it was on one of the uh, movie macabre, but uh, it's one of the amicus films, and it's actually not a bad film, taking out the cheesiness, realize it's, it's Hammer's deformed brother, and it's pretty good.
0: I never heard of that one. Honestly, I didn't. I didn't know that was an Amicus film. What?
2: What? I want to actually get someone from NASA. I didn't call them yet. I need to because I want to figure out what beyond space is. <laughs> That's what I want to well, figure out.
1: there's space, and then there's after the, the space ends, and then you go beyond it to to. Well, here's else.
2: the here's the funniest thing: is they came from beyond space,
1: but in the movie they came from the moon. No, <laughs> oh. no, no, no! You see, there's space, and then there's an object, and then there's more space beyond. So, and yeah, there's they, a
2: matter. Yeah, and they, they, uh,
1: they, uh, they, whenever there's matter, you're technically dividing space, and so they came from beyond one space into another. That's that's. They came yeah. from the next room. I majored in philosophy for a while. Can you tell? Yeah, there you I'm, go. That's I'm okay. So glad,
0: I'm so glad you guys figured that one out. Well, <laughs> I, than, I, I was confused.
2: Yeah, other than that, I've just been watching some Bob Ross and a lot of Sabrina the Teenage
0: Witch. Oh, really? Nice, nice. <laughs> oh, isn't, Sab- oh, can, isn't can, Sabrina... Can, can,
1: can I talk about a trailer I watched today?
0: Is yeah. it for God's Not Dead Part 2?
1: It is! It's... <laughs> is- can I just
2: clarify? He never existed, so he's not.
1: dead. Yeah, no, he's not. He's not dead. <laughs> Again, apparently he's not
0: dead. Just, just uh, tell me Kevin Sorbo's in that one as well. Is there, is
2: there gonna be a part three in 3D?
0: There should be.
1: There should be. God shows up in 3D. <laughs> leaps right out of the screen, you know. And then um, part four. Part four is found footage shaky cam. That's it. Yeah. Geez, God. Right. Oh, poor it's, like, poor. it's like Bigfoot hunters. It's God hunters, you know. Yeah, and uh, guess deluded. what? You'll
2: find Bigfoot before you find him. So there yeah. you
0: go. Poor deluded, sexy Sabrina. What are you doing to yourself?
2: Do, 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 do.
1: And um, I think his name Ray Ray Winstone is in it. Really? Uh, yeah, he's, he's, I might, What
0: the fuck?
1: He. I let me let me make sure I got the right guy.
0: Please tell me it's not Ray Winstone. Please, no, no, this no. This no, is no. called The Career Killers. Yeah. If he's in that no, film... No, 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 no it's,
1: not, it's not him. It's somebody oh, else.
0: thank fuck, because I just would have lost... It's Ray Wise. Ray, Ray Wise. Oh, is in. Okay, fuck Ray Wise. I would have lost a lot of fucking respect for Ray Winstone if he showed I, I that.
1: Sorry, I know the difference between them. I just got the names confused.
0: Right? Oh, man, you scared the fuck out of me there for a second.
1: <laughs> he's the one that killed God, don't you see? I fucking killed you, know. I fucking, I killed, killed, you, I fucking <laughs> killed you, you fucking cunt. Yeah, you get a high-five so from me, motherfucker. So anyway, I think we all watched that trailer today and went, oh, fuck
0: me. You know? Yeah, poor Sabrina, you you poor, deluded woman. <laughs> Damn, it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, um... TV the only thing the I haven't really watched anything new in the last week or so. I did get uh, my ordered copies of uh, It Follows and Mad Max Fury Road in. So I have It Follows. You have It Follows. What did you of think course. of it? Follows? Have you watched it? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Not
2: gonna spoil it.
0: No, not gonna spoil it. But um, I think it's probably pretty much the best horror movie from the last year and a half or so, yeah. something like that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, since I haven't watched a movie since 2000 I have to agree with you before that the newest one I ever watched was Dog Soldiers so <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: <That's fair. Yeah. laughs> alright uh, I guess we can just move on right to the uh, main event then uh, we'll go right into Punch Drunk Love so uh, Daniel and, this is uh, essentially
2: there's the end see ya have a nice <laughs> day I
3: wanted to ask you something because you're a doctor right Yeah? I don't like myself sometimes. Can you help me? Barry? I'm a dentist. Hi, this is Georgia. This is Barry Egan. So what do you do, Barry? I have my own business. Uh, We have a non-breakable handle. Let me demonstrate for you. You're married, aren't you? No. Barry, what's your sister? There's this friend of mine from work, and I want you to meet her.
0: This is Lena. Hi.
3: Hi. Do you have a girlfriend? No. It must be weird for you to have so many sisters. Hi. Actually, no. It's very nice. All Remember right. we used to call you gay boy and get all mad? What's that? We were calling you gay boy. You got so mad. I saw your picture and I really wanted to meet you. Boy, are you lying? I didn't want to get too far along going out and be hiding something. This is Barry. Hey, it's Georgia. How did you get this number? I was wondering if maybe you could help me out with some money. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. You've just made a war for yourself that you can't afford. I'm going to Hawaii on Friday. Hawaii? I was thinking about going there. Really? I'm going to start a collection of puddings and coupons that can be redeemed for freaking flyer miles. That's insane. This is Barry. You canceled your credit card. That's a bunch of bulls! Get your supervisor on the phone! Yeah. What's your name, sir? You're sick. No, no, no. Shut up! Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! Are you threatening me? Yes. That wasn't good! You were dead! And all at once, I knew I, knew I knew so much strength in me, you have no idea. I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. He me, he needs me, he needs me, he needs me, he needs me,
0: he needs me. Essentially, this is your show, Dan, so uh, I'll let you take over.
1: Sure. Um, this is a uh, film from 2002, uh, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, I saw this in theaters when it was new. I'm a big PT Anderson fan, so you know I saw this in a theater by myself in Huntsville, Alabama, at about two in the afternoon on a Tuesday. It doesn't surprise me. You know? Yeah, I mean it. It was uh, a <laughs> a film that has grown on me with time. I'll admit, you know, uh, it had a had a kind of a weird production history because it comes right after uh, Anderson had made a bunch of uh, or two kind of big. He made Boogie Nights and The Magnolia, which are both nearly three hours long, uh, kind of big, epic character pieces with lots of interlocking parts. And then this is like the little like oh, and then I'm gonna do a 90 minute Adam Sandler movie, mm-hmm. and people really didn't know what to expect out of it. Um, this was kind of the first time Adam Sandler had done something had done something that wasn't you know a Happy Gilmore kind of thing, um, or Gone Fishing. Um, and I think this was kind of Sandler's big, like, request for, uh, for people to take him seriously. He did that for about two years and then went on to make Grown Ups for the rest of his life, and that's the same. <laughs> yeah, they,
2: they, they actually came up to realize that they can't take him seriously.
1: Right. Um, I think he's great in this film, and I think the film is, is grown on me. I've seen it, I was talking to Lee before we started recording, um, I've seen it probably a dozen times in the last dozen years, um, kind of off and on. Maybe not quite that many times, but but it is one. Um, I think it's uh one of the best love stories ever said, ever put in a movie. And uh, my wife and I will just sit and watch it sometimes together. Um, it's a uh, it's a it's a great thing for the two of us. And I have a lot more to say, but I'm actually interested. I, I do have a way of doing the plot summary, which I think um, Lee and Paul will appreciate. But I I am curious, Paul. What did you think of the film, like overall, in the uh, in the eight minutes of it that you saw or so? <laughs> it's different. <laughs> it was uh, – I'm just
2: trying to go with it. I'm going to go with it. It was a awkward, handicapped man living in an awkward, retarded world with retards around him and him just trying to make the best of it, and I just don't get it. And then this girl walks in and, and almost in a serendipitous meeting and just likes him for who he is, and that's not going to happen in the real world, folks. Just all you people like me out there that are kind of weird – it's not gonna happen, and uh, it's just it's just weird. It's just weird, and and there's some great parts in the film, and there's a lot of parts where I'm just like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, I, I became him in the film, and I'm just like, I'm just so awkward right now, and I don't know what to do. And yes, and yes, they're all retarded, and I understand, but just stop. I don't understand. Like it was a very painful film to watch.
1: Oh, it's definitely a painful film to watch. I don't disagree with that.
0: I think Um, he actually, I think Paul actually gets a pretty good reading of this film, even though he perhaps doesn't think he does. Um, Yeah, no,
1: no, no. I I think, I think Paul. Um, I would not use the word retarded. Um, I. uh, No, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying,
2: I'm saying, I'm saying he's handicapped, and the people around him are retarded. There's a difference. Well, I wouldn't (laughs) use the term
1: retarded, but um, you know. (laughs) Uh, I do think that uh, that Paul, okay, okay, Paul, okay. Paul gets the film better than he thinks. I think I, I every think everybody I like.
2: everybody in the room that just kept on calling him gay the whole time, knowing that he's gonna get pissed off, it, that's retarded, and you need to be hit in the head with a
0: hammer. <laughs> <laughs> and he he sort of wants to hit people in the head with a hammer yes. <laughs> secretly.
2: I mean, there's a little. I understand the point of the film, but I didn't need to bring up half my life in a film. For me to want to drink all these beers, thanks a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and moving on.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, uh, no. I, I, that's
1: it's fascinating because I think you, you actually did uh, get the film to some degree. I think, I think, I, I appreciate that, that uh, summary, Paul. I, I do, I really do. There you go.
0: Yeah, I think, I think this movie does a really great job of sucking the viewer into the actual mindset of the main character, Barry. It makes you as uncomfortable as he is in real-world situations, just in the way he interacts with people, but also the way the score in this film is done.
1: No, the, the um, score is brilliant. I have a lot to say about
0: the score. But. It, P.T. Anderson has done something here where the score uh, manipulates the person watching it to a degree which I don't think I've quite seen in a film before, uh, at certain points where his life is getting very stressed and confused, the music gets very loud, it gets very stressed, it gets very confused, it's blaring over the actual dialogue that the characters are saying, and it takes the viewer and it makes them stressed and confused. I think that is fucking amazing. Like I was watching this and was like, holy shit, I'm getting... How he feels because it doesn't really quite spell out what is wrong with Barry. I mean, you could maybe say perhaps semi-autistic or yeah. some sort of some sort of mental. I disability. took care of
2: uh, I took care of a girl for a, a quite a long time that had Down syndrome, so I kind of get a lot of that, and I get how I feel watching someone be awkward, if you know what I'm saying. So, but that, I'm,
1: but, but, that was a big thing. Alt- yeah, autism autism spectrum is definitely. I mean, ultimately, whenever you try to diagnose film characters, then unless there's like a specific diagnosis like meant by the filmmaker, you you. I mean, it's screenwriter's disorder. They're always screenwriter's disorder. You know, he has some something that is meant for the script. Um, I think it's easiest to understand as either an autism spectrum disorder, or sensory processing disorder, um, whereby uh sensory input doesn't. Match up the way it does for neurotypical people, uh, and I think he definitely has a crippling level of social anxiety. I think I think he's going um, yeah. uphill downhill. He's yeah. doing
2: the over century non sensory, over sensory, non sensory.
1: Oh yeah, like, definitely,
2: definitely. Yeah. Like, I, uh, and like my 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 like all of us, I'll just say all of us to a certain extent. The way we associate with people in groups, the antisocial things, the uh, um, panic attacks, it all came through him in a way. So we focused on that a little bit too.
0: Well that that's what uh, that's another thing that sort of hit me by this film it's like I could relate to Barry because I've had that level of social anxiety in my life in my past like I I have sort of felt that sort of almost to that degree of what he is feeling on a constant basis you know just in a small amount personally like I'm not saying I I know exactly what that character is is like but right. I mean to to a certain degree like I get I get the social anxiety that he feels I get the pent up rage that he feels because this is a character who has a lot of pent up rage, partially due to the fact that his seven sisters treat him like uh, pariah, pariah, mm-hmm. to, and it's not even malicious the way they do it. Is this? It's just the way they treat
1: him. I do have a I do have a high hypothesis about that that um they're not actually treating him this way, that that's what he's hearing, that we're in his head to that degree. That could be that, yeah. that essentially they're saying, Oh, you're weird, you're all this sort of thing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But that's just that's just his that we're still seeing that through his perception. Couldn't um, get that on
2: fast forward, so I'm sorry if I didn't catch that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, there, there are some beautiful, beautiful sequences. I, I love the sequences with the sisters. Uh, I love the, you know, the sisters and the brothers and the, you know, there are lots of recurring themes here. Um, sorry, Lee, I kind of, I kind of took
0: over no, for you. No, go there. ahead, but, um, go ahead, do it. Uh,
1: I think it's worthwhile. I, I just want to talk about some themes in the film. And mm-hmm. one of the themes is uh, the phone calls. And uh, Barry spends most of the film on a phone of some kind or another. I cataloged these. I actually took five pages of notes when I was watching this film this time. Mm. Specifically kind of like basically diagramming the entire film and like kind of writing down themes and tracking stuff. Which I, I am not going to read all of that to you. But I did want to write down I did want to read just to think of this as a plot summary almost the list of phone calls Barry Egan makes or is made to in this film. He's on the film at the he's on the phone at the very beginning to Healthy Choice talking about the promotion. Then he talks to a supplier. Then he gets three successive phone calls from his sisters. Then he calls the phone sex line. Then he gets a threatening call from that phone sex line. Mm -hmm. Then he calls his credit card company. Then he gets a threatening call from the phone sex operator three times. Then he gets a call from Lena at the front desk. Then he gets a call from his sister because he smashed the windows. Yeah. He gets a call from Healthy Choice, or he calls Healthy Choice, and that's the six to eight weeks conversation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He gets a call. He calls his sister during the parade in Hawaii. He calls the hotel wrong room. Then he calls the hotel right room. Then he calls the phone sex line to get his money back twice. And then finally, he calls the directory listings looking for D&D Mattress Man. Those yeah. are the 22 phone calls he makes. Probably a third of the time of this film is made up of phone calls of one kind or another. Um, Barry Egan is a, is a man who is very uncomfortable in the outside world. Um, yeah. You see him; he's happiest in the dark. He's happiest in his warehouse or in his apartment. When he calls the phone sex line, he's literally turning uh, lights off. He's closing windows. He doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't. He's uncomfortable in the light. In his in the warehouse at the beginning, before anybody shows up, when he's on the phone calls, uh, you almost get these like um, John Ford searcher shots as he's standing in front of the uh, the warehouse doors looking out into this bright light, and he's dark. Mm-hmm. And then when like Lance, uh, Louis Guzman's character, shows up, he opens up this, this thing, and suddenly there's light, and suddenly everything's stressful. And then later on, the music starts, and it, and, it's, and it gets more hectic. It tells you something about Barry as a character that he is most articulate on the phone, mm-hmm. that, he, that he doesn't like talking to people in, in the real world
0: cuz when the movie starts you find out that he's been at work like several hours before anyone else shows up at the building like right. it, it, it's a his his place of business is like a combination garage and novelty sales place like they they, they, they share yeah they share the same yeah. spot right? Um, right and when you first see him he's at a desk in a corner of the garage and you don't even realize it's a garage at that point like it looks like some isolated like maybe he rented like some empty fucking room to start his business in or something like that. So he's sitting at his desk. and even when he, in the opening scene where he's walking outside uh, and he witnesses uh, both the truck crash, which just disappears, and you never hear from it again. And then the truck that goes by and drops the harmonium on the street, um, you don't see the in the full inside, the full interior of where he works until later. Uh, when everyone starts coming in, and then you realize, oh fuck, we got a garage going on, and we got all this other shit going on, it's not just his fucking desk in a corner with the phone or whatever. You, so. you actually
2: never see that scene again, either. Yeah, you never see that isolated room ever again.
1: Yeah, he never he never sits at that uh, at that desk again. He's always in his office. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's and even there.
2: when he goes to the one side desk, it's not isolated like that other first. Right.
1: One.
0: Right.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, I I didn't, I didn't notice that. You're right.
0: You you
2: don't
0: see that again. Yeah, that's um, the that's the thing
2: about this film. There's <laughs> there there is a part where I smiled once. Yeah. Um, okay, <laughs> it was the uh, when he first sees the pudding and he looks around all happy because he saw pudding. And I'm like, I'm just hearkening back to all the other Adam Sandler films. I'm like, did you do that purposely? Because you got your snack pack and you're fucking happy now <laughs> or what? <laughs> and well, I, I as a guy who knows the old stuff, I just. I gave a smile. I had to smile a little bit. There's pudding. It's, he's it's happy. Good.
1: It's good. Damn. Yeah. No.
0: Yeah. Well, isn't there? Isn't there like some sort of story that Paul Thomas Anderson was like he 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 used to watch Adam Sandler films as like sort of junk food, like just to just to cool down and chill out. And that's, that, it,
1: that's that's exactly it. He 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 used to watch them. That they were his comfort food. You know, they right. were his like oh this is stupid, but this is what I like to watch when I'm stressed out. And uh, then essentially up Adam Sandler, and they and they made this movie together, and that was mm-hmm. that was essentially what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but the
0: but the pudding thing is also real life. There like was a real person. It, right?
1: There was a real person who uh, essentially did this. Who uh, there was a healthy choice promotion for frequent flyer miles, and he figured out this way that he could spend a few thousand dollars and get, I mean, a million frequent flyer miles. Uh, it was kind of one of those like Snopes style stories back in the late nineties or the early two thousands mm-hmm. or something. And um, P.D. Anderson heard the, heard about this story. He paid the guy for his uh, for the movie rights to it, and suddenly it's like there's gonna be this Adam Sandler movie about this guy who gets freaking flyer miles. Like like what is what the fuck is this movie gonna be like? You know, um, and he turns in this weird little art house masterpiece about like this this deeply damaged autism spectrum guy. But no, this was this was a real thing, and uh, it, it happened uh, pretty much the way it's shown in the film. Although um, the the real guy like called up Healthy Choice and was like, I'm planning on doing this. You're gonna let me do this, right? And essentially like they all worked together and it became like a big PR thing and everything like
0: that. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: But yeah, no. Uh, it was it was kind of based on a real story. And then once you have that real spine, then P.T. Anderson built the rest of the movie kind of around that central idea. Um, if you if you watch when the pudding is uh, actually put in the film, whenever you see the the pudding on. In the shot, whenever you see him thinking about it, whenever you see him manipulating it, the pudding represents freedom—freedom freedom from this, from this stultifying life that he has, where he's surrounded by this social anxiety built around his sisters. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: I did—I definitely did enjoy the scene when he was buying the mass quantities of uh, pudding and dancing in the aisles and going yeah. to town. I, I did. That was a very jovial moment for me.
1: Yeah, that that um, was definitely the moment I thought you'd—you'd you'd, uh, pull I out. I did. I did. I. I did uh, revel in it for
0: this And let me just say, like, uh, Luis Guzman, who is one of my favorite actors, like, I I love him, and just about everything I see him in, um, I think he's kind of actually underutilized in this film, like, and and I think that, of course, has to do with the fact that it's a 90-minute fucking film, so he doesn't really have time to, like, flesh out all the other characters all that much, but, Man, he is, for me, one of the premier supporting character actors that you see in films. Uh, He is one of the best straight men you see in films. Uh, And this is not essentially a comedy, really. Like, actually, it's not really a comedy. There's funny parts to it, but it's not really a comedy. Still, he is the straight man in this film. And I kind of feel sad that there wasn't maybe an extra 15 minutes somewhere tacked on where he could have more interactions because you kind of get the feeling that He actually does really care about uh, Barry, and he he likes Barry a lot, but at the same time, he's like, Barry's fucking nuts. Like, Barry's nuts.
2: (laughs) Yeah, honestly, they they, uh, kind of stereotyped him a little bit, in my mind, watching the film. Like, they threw him in there as the straight man, as you say, but they could have put anybody in there. But, unfortunately, like, it looks like everybody that works in the warehouse is Hispanic. So they Mm, just threw him in there and be the Hispanic straight man. And just look at him like he's crazy and just kind of walk away from him the whole time. And and, and that was it. That was all his role, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. It, it, it kind of disappointed me because it was just like crazy white man. And Yeah, he's got the one big scene where he's like filling the cart with pudding for him. That's, that's about it, basically. But
2: Yeah, and he wasn't, he wasn't even jovial at that point either. Mm. He was just like the guy, I'm just doing this. Just never mind.
1: All right, I'm going to gonna I'm gonna go get in line, Barry. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, Louis Guzman had worked with uh, P.T. Anderson in uh, both Boogie Nights and Magalia. Um yep. So he had been in his two previous, his two prior films. And, uh, I mean, this is, I think i think Louis Guzman, I mean, I agree, nobody in this film is really focused on it except for Barry Egan. Um, right. Uh, but
2: it's supposed to be like that, more of a... Yeah, well, it is. It, it's, it, it's a
1: character study. And yeah, I, yeah. I think if there's one criticism I would make of the film is that, I, you know, kind of my, my big criticism, which I agree that Louis Guzman is not treated well, and the fact that you're surrounded by Hispanic workers is probably realistic, but also then it kind of becomes like, oh, and then you have a bunch of brown people just kind of watching this dude do and things. And cr- um, crashing into rafters. Crashing, crashing, like getting into accidents that he's uh, not paying attention to because he's uh, paying, but uh, I think that... Um, but that makes sense. I expected that from him, that that kind of one-track mind. Oh, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's a
2: it's a real character moment. I mean, The, the, the biggest a, flaw about this is no Julianne Moore's tits.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. that's, that's true. Yeah, what that's what true. was Pete Anderson thinking when he made? I'm just theory. gonna go
2: for it. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs>
1: uh, um, Emily Watson, I think could have we could have gotten a little bit more with her to kind of get. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that th- I think that it's there. Um, I've seen this film a lot, and I, you know, the more I, I watch it, I mean, I, I even sat and talked to my wife about it. Like we were watching it one time, and I went and I just paused it halfway through, and I turned to her and I said, "Is Emily Watson in this film a manic pixie dream girl?" And we had, like, a 30-minute conversation about whether she was or wasn't. Um, do I need to d- define that term? Or?
0: Yeah, we that would be, that Go be for helpful,
1: yeah. um, Manic Pixie Dream Girl is a term uh, coined by Nathan Rabin when he was talking about a Garden State, uh, describing Natalie Portman's character in that film because, uh, basically, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is this, like, crazy girl that's, like, wandering around and, like, enters the protagonist's life and teaches him that, like, life is about more than rules, man. And, like... Hey, look at me! I'm quirky and hot, and I want to fuck you. And like that's sort of the, like, you know, it's the it's the female character who is a free mm. spirit who make who exists only to further the, the life of the protagonist. always it always
2: reminds me of a, a film called The Muse. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but actually, <laughs> I have. <laughs> I, I actually do enjoy that film quite a bit. So
0: I don't it's, know. I don't know if I agree if uh, Emily Watson is manic pixie dream girl or whatever. I think. I think the I think the fact is that the I film had was,
2: a I had a different term for her. I always called her watching the film The Short Bus Chaser. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um but I, I I think there's something deeper in her character. I think the Oh film, no, no, I, I agree. Think, I th- I the thing is I think the f- another weakness of the film and it's got very few weaknesses. I'll just say it up front. I think one of the few weaknesses of the film is that it does her character a bit of a disservice, that it doesn't go a little deeper into her, because I get hints that... She, as well, is damaged to some degree, and the fact that she's attracted to Barry is that she's trying to build her own life back together again to some degree as well.
1: Well, she, she hasn't dated in six months. She used to be married. We get mm-hmm. hints of this. Um, and I did, like, track all of their conversations in my detailed notes, like, literally going through almost line by line, mm-hmm. like, figuring out exactly what's said and what's not said. I do wish that we got a little bit more of her backstory and a little bit more of the background from her, I understand that that isn't the film that's being made here, but I do think that it is a weakness mm-hmm. of the film. Uh, uh, I think that her performance sells it, and I think that it's little moments like the way she hugs him after she she calls him for a kiss, and he comes back up. And, and that, that I she, like that
2: part a lot, and that would be me trying to find the room again. I understand
1: that. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's very much, very much. You know, no, but uh, uh, the the way she holds him, the way she whispers in his ear the way he is almost sobbing on her shoulder because he is so happy to have found someone who accepts him for who he is. The best um,
2: part of the film with between those two for me was when he pontificates his emotions in the very special way that he does and she just looks back at him and does the same thing right back to him. If you don't, I'm like, I'll smash you in the face with a sledgehammer,
1: and I'll rip out your eyeballs <laughs> and suck out the juice and mess with this. And this. And she, you mean, she you mean, mean that's, they, they that's get not the show. kind of pillow talk that you do on a regular basis? Paul? When I
2: do that kind of pillow talk, the girl usually doesn't talk back, and we usually marry her very shortly after. Um, <laughs> but they do it in a metaphorically loving sense that, yeah, I get, that, that I really get. I mean it was easy to fap to. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but it was a very emotional part that I really uh, I like. Yeah, it's the, it's, the it's an amazing spirit. scene. It's an yes.
1: amazing scene. Yeah,
0: no, but is. I I think her character like she is definitely a bit of an opposite of of Barry to some degree because she is more of a free spirit. She's more for, forward going, and I think that is a personal choice of her character to some degree. Like like you said, okay, she hasn't been dating for six months. She was previously married. This is a woman who has decided that she needs to put herself out there and actually pursue a relationship instead of just sitting there and doing nothing for the rest of her fucking life because she's had a couple failed ones, right? So she's going out there. She's putting herself out there. She's going a certain degree higher than Barry can do himself. she's She's looking for someone. The fact that you don't necessarily get a lot of her backstory and the fact that maybe she feels like the magic pixie girl whatever uh, to some degree is because this movie in a large part is very much connected to Barry emotionally and in, in his inner thoughts so a lot of the way the movie goes is very much direct, directly connected to his emotions um, it, wh- whether it's the soundtrack or just uh, when you see scenes where he's in distress where everything goes fucking dark uh, like, uh, after he gets accosted by the uh, three of the four blonde brothers or whatever uh, uh, the first time where he, he runs away and everything really gets fucking dark and he's running down a dark fucking alley, you, you can tell, like, the movie is directly connected and following his own mental processes and how his mm-hmm. actual emotions are going. So the movie is very much, uh, although it's not quite first person to some degree it is at the same time, it, it's very much what's internally coming out of Barry is also yeah. showing up around him in the actual film. So I like how
2: he has a very visceral attitude when he gets into the second car crash, or the the, the car crash with her in there because of the four... Whatever you mm-hmm. call him, the yeah. Blonde, he just, the he because I always told, I said that's gonna exactly what I'm gonna do. If anyone crashes into me with the kids in the car, I'm just gonna do that, and they're gonna all die, and I'm just gonna go to jail for a little bit, and I'll come back.
1: <laughs> well, and we, we we see three acts of violence in the film. He breaks the glass due to his social anxiety. He's he's being he's trapped in a corner, and he breaks the uh, plate glass windows in this kind of like shocking moment. Then later he uh, beats up the bathroom, um, and he does that when uh, Lena reminds him of the photo, mm-hmm. or whatever this photo is that that made her attracted to him. You know, and we gotta keep in mind that Lena works with uh, Liz, who is Barry uh, Lynn Raskolb's character.
0: Yeah, um, she's the, she's pretty much we, the face of the entire Seven Sisters. Yeah, too. he said right, right, definitely right,
2: right. said about telling the story about when you got. Angry and threw the hammer through the, the window and he right, right they, and they, they tell us called the sister a liar
1: and then went to the bathroom. He he calls it, he calls her a liar. He goes to the bathroom and he's he's angry at himself. He's he's filled with like this self hatred, and he has to get it out somehow. And then they get kicked out of the restaurant, of course. Um, so in those those two cases, you know, we're talking about these large negative consequences. It's only after he has a love in his life that he funnels that anger into something that is uh, pure, and that is that is he even even is able to let go. Like, he literally hands the crowbar to the last brother and says, here, take this. I, you <laughs> know, and then drives her to the... I mean, you know, like, it's, it's a controlled, righteous anger. Right, it. right. Um, and then travels to Utah and, uh, and confronts uh, the, the, a person who I can't believe we haven't even mentioned yet in this Pope conversation. Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who I think has about 40 lines of dialogue in this film. Um, it makes every single one of them count. I think it's a phenomenal performance by him, but mm-hmm. confronts Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, essentially stares him down mm-hmm. there's all there's a there's a line I mean, I don't really want to get too deeply into this. there's you could definitely follow the a kind of like a traditional masculinity as as Barry finds his his manhood in a way. it's all right. it's all right,
2: Daniel, go with it.
1: go <laughs> oh i can I can go with it. don't worry. we can go, talk i can go. I can talk about this movie by myself for like three hours. It's fine. do it um. I, I love
2: that scene. I, I, that scene. I love the fact that they don't say
1: anything for like twenty seconds. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and he just says, "I have a love in my life, and that makes me stronger than you could ever imagine."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, that's 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 where he is. That's where he is emotionally.
2: And that's and I I completely agree with that line. One no, you no, know,
1: I I mean, how how much strength have I gotten from the love that I have in my life? You know, in in. Maybe not because I called a phone sex line and got threatened for, by uh, by somebody for. Well, that's you know, how it starts. You know, that's how it starts, <laughs> and then you know that's the beginning of any relationship, right? You yeah, know, right, yeah, yeah. Phone sex line, I get. I think I think that is what love gives us in a lot of in a lot of cases is is mm-hmm. that is that emotional reservoir, is that there's somebody backing me up, you know. No of, matter
2: no matter where I was, because I used to be suicidal and manic depressive and the whole deal and an alcoholic and all that fun stuff. I have something to to fight and live for now that I didn't back then, Yep. no matter what's happening. You know what I mean? That's one of the reasons why I kept going, and now I have children too, and now you fuck, you die. You know what I mean? And that's where I am now, and that's, so I understand that. I understand that a lot. There's a lot of, of, of things that even people without problems in their lives can understand from this film if you watch it. There's a lot of undertoned things that we all think about and deal with in our life, even if we didn't have a shitty one. So there it is.
1: Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And uh, I think it's, you know, the more specific it is in terms of portraying this particular person's experience, I think it, the more universal it becomes. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that even though we don't all have this experience, I think that we have... We can connect it to things in our own lives. And as I've gotten older, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't get as much into this when I saw it when I was 22, as I saw it yesterday when I rewatched it at 35.
2: <laughs> when I was 22, I couldn't see it through the blur of bourbon.
1: Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm with you. I think it's uh, phenomenal. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about the score, if that's okay, Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is um, a score? There, there is, believe it or not. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a written by John Bryan. You get the. Uh, this very punishing percussive score, Um, lots of uh, arrhythmic stuff going on. Um, It definitely gets the heart pacing and it builds that anxiety up. Uh, I think what's interesting is that I think the harmonium very clearly is meant to be paired with Lena as a symbol. The harmonium and Lena both come into his life at the same time, and they both, like, as he becomes more comfortable with her as a person, he gets better at playing the harmonium, until eventually he's literally carrying the harmonium to her Say I'm sorry for leaving in the hospital, and then eventually he's playing the harmonium as they build, a, they start to build a life together. Yeah. One of the things that um, autism spectrum people um, often run into is uh, having using music or using um, some uh, physical or verbal tic in terms of processing their emotions or processing the uh, inputs that they can't handle. Barry goes into his office and he will play the harmonium. He will like tap at it. He will play a couple of notes. And that score goes away. And suddenly you just hear the harmonium until he leaves his office, until he leaves that sanctum. And then suddenly the score comes back up again. Yeah. Suddenly he's, he's stressed again. He's surrounded by people again. The harmonium is a comforting thing in his life. It is something that he's using to control his emotions. And uh, pairing that with the love that he has for Lena, I think, is, is really um, an interesting symbol. I really love that about the film. That's something I only noticed on this watch through is how much that works, um, you know, thematically. Um, in fact, um, at one point, um, after he has the six to eight weeks conversation with the healthy choice person, and he punches the wall—sorry, that's yeah. another violent act—but he punches the wall. You see the uh, the love, the words, the letters L O V E on his knuckles afterwards, um, which is a little bit of a cheesy moment, but you know, it's, mm. it's fine. Um, he's literally stroking a harmonium you know, and thinking of Lena in that moment. So, I mean, there is there is this like, direct connection between uh, Lena and the harmonium, which I think is is really interesting. Um, and in those moments where they're together, you don't hear that percussive score. You hear the more lyrical thing. Um, and, in fact, you even get that Chili Duvall song, that wonderful Chili Duvall song.
0: Yeah, um, from Popeye.
1: From Popeye, right, yeah. yeah, um, yeah.
0: Uh, but, yeah, yeah, it's, it's true, because every time he's with, with her, thinking about her, it basically washes that... Intense percussive shit right out of his head, and this, and again, like I was saying, the the score and the entire movie itself is basically directly connected to his internal processes, his thinking, and everything that's going on inside his head. So, uh, whenever whenever he sees her or has the harmonium next to him, he gets total clarity and calm, and then otherwise, he's you know, he's progressively getting more and more. Uh, anxiety and the score reflects that definitely. And just the stuff you see around him in in the actual scenes, the art direction and everything kind of goes that way as well. I mean, if you look at it, a lot of the scenes you see early on, he's in this bleak kind of almost dystopian kind of urban landscape to a certain degree. Cause it's just like a kind of lots of empty fucking buildings and dust and shit flying around and, um, when he's in the scene with uh, Luis Guzman in the store, uh, buying pudding, and he's he's thinking, yeah, I got my freedom. I'm gonna this is my ticket the fuck out of here, and I'm gonna be happy. You you look everything's very color colorful. All the shit on the shelves, like the art direction in that fucking scene, is absolutely fucking amazing. Like just the way everything's color coded and every item on the mm-hmm. shelf and stuff. It looks really, really nice. It's very sort of like very happy, almost like a fucking garden of flowers or some shit, you know. Like so, uh, there, there's definitely a very deep connection between what you see around him in the film and the sound and everything compared to his state of mind. So again, it just goes back to that. It's really well done.
1: Um, there was an interesting production process they made in this film uh, which is uh, they took their time shooting this. Um, they, it was not like a quick production which you'd think, you think know, there aren't that many locations. You know, you've got professional actors, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Anderson specifically cast people that were not professional actors, most of the sisters. I think four of the seven sisters are actually sisters um yeah. and the brothers like two of the four are actually brothers or something like that.
0: Well a lot um, of them look similar. I was like I was looking at was like they really cast that well cuz a lot of those sisters look pretty much alike. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: no a lot of them are actually sisters if you, if yeah. you look at
0: the cast list. Table <laughs> of Hungarian Jews. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um but you do get this uh but they like for instance um the Scene with the uh, where he's on the payphone and the parade's going by in the background. Um, that parade was just a parade. That was not like set up by the production, and they'd actually shot the scene the day before, completely shot it, and uh, they heard, oh, there's a parade coming by tomorrow. And then they went back the next day and reshot it, which you never hear of that happening
2: on. on yeah, on. I kind of like that. That's good because it's like oh, it would be so distracting and loud. Yeah, or, yeah, you right? know, you know, it's, it's
1: it's an amazing it's an amazing moment, and it's such a, like an amazing like sequence to like watch that happen. Um, but they were but they were they 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 said they reshot certain sequences four and five times in different locations specifically to let things be more free and to let things be more open and to find it in the shooting. And uh, Anderson took a lot of that, uh, his next film, There Will Be Blood, which was five years later, he, uh, he took a lot of that same technique, like a lot of the stuff with Daniel Day-Lewis, they shot four or five times in four or five different locations. Did you
2: count That's that as one of the acts of anger? Which one? When he's on the phone during the parade, when he said he's going to kill I did not, I did this. not, I, I only you counted acts suck. of violence. You was, suck.
1: Yeah, you suck. Fuck you, don't you fucking do this to me, why you got to fucking be so mean, I mean to me? Yeah. It's an amazing, it's an amazing scene.
2: That's pretty um, angry that's a it's a man in rage well,
1: well and and she she Fight. responds to that like she's she's used to being able to shit all over him, and suddenly she doesn't and mm-hmm. uh, you know that that's often the way that people have to you know when you've been shit on your whole life that's often what you have to do is just get that direct about it um mm-hmm. yeah uh,
0: two two things I would just want to briefly mention um i i I'm gonna re-watch this a couple times I think because uh I was I was picking up visual gags on my my second uh, watch of this. There just two I picked up so far, and I'm, I'm sure I'll probably find a whole lot more as, as I rewatch. But um, I like he 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 beats up the fucking bathroom in the restaurant, and then of course they have to be ejected from the uh, restaurant. I love how they're walking down the street, and then this fucking truck goes by, and on the truck it says relocation at its best, and. <laughs> It's just, a perfect, uh, it's just a perfect connection to what he's thinking right at that moment because he's got so much anxiety in the actual fucking restaurant that it, he could not be at a better place right now than out on the street uh, with Lena going somewhere else. So I, I thought mm-hmm. that was a really nice connection that worked really well. And I really liked when they were silhouetted when they met in Hawaii. Uh, where they went for the kiss, there's it almost makes this sort of semi-heart when their two bodies come together and they kiss.
2: Oh, that's that, so sappy.
0: It is, uh, it, hey, it is you're fucking a, sappy. You're a
2: hopeless romantic.
0: Okay, fuck you, Paul. I'm going to lick
2: you. Next time I see you, I'll just lick you all over, baby.
0: Okay, well, that might happen. I would, I'd like to
1: see that, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah. Might happen. that might happen, Paul. That might happen, yeah. but uh, fu- I'll just say, fuck you. And <laughs> It, it looked. I just thought I appreciated the visual of it. I thought it was there. Is
1: that that is one of the most beautiful shots in all of cinema, as far as we'll I'm
2: call it a rain cinema. check. Lee, <laughs> there we go.
0: Um,
1: there is one other uh, kind of is talking about the phone theme from earlier. You know, um, you notice there's one little detail that seems to be accidental. I think it was actually they just thought it was a funny little thing to add in at the end. But he like literally rips the phone out of the wall and runs down, and, and then he's carrying all the, all the phone. On. Yeah. Into the confrontation with Seymour Hoffman, and then hands the phone to the uh, like the person standing yeah. at the front desk of the of the mattress. Well, that, oh yeah, yeah. Well, if you view the the phone as like his his like literal lifeline to to reality, and then suddenly giving that up in that moment mm-hmm. where he's going to go then find Lena and then build the rest of his life together, which I think is is uh, really thematically works. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is that the the actual title of the film doesn't show up until the very end. Um, so, so really, all that we've seen before is just prologue. The real story, the punch Drunk love story happens after the film ends, essentially, which I think is... Well, yeah, yeah she says
0: what? Uh, so, so here she we go. She says, away we go.
1: Away we go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was, I was going to ask you, there's one line she does right at the end, and I could not hear it. I could no, not make it out. It's away we go. Away we go. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay.
1: In fact, the uh, that uh, theme that you hear throughout the film... Uh, that kind of is associated with Lena is actually called Away We Go. That's the that's the name of that. The, yeah.
2: um, John. I was always wondering if Lena actually had a job.
1: <laughs> she, uh, may, she maybe she's doing a whole uh, Tyler Durden thing with him, you know?
0: Maybe. Apparently she has an amazing job because if she works in some capacity with his one of his sisters, mm-hmm. and she's traveling all the time and going to like f- fucking Hawaiian places. But it doesn't seem like she actually does anything. She gets like a couple phone calls where he's like. Yeah, we can do this and that, but otherwise, I'm chilling out in Hawaii and having drinks yeah. and meeting up with my boyfriend. Maybe,
2: no. maybe it's the whole thing where he gets in front of the mirror and says, "Would you fuck me? I'd fuck. You. <laughs> <laughs> I'd fuck me hard. That's the title of
1: the Now
2: we get the real story
1: about this film. Uh, yeah, but there, the, there are layers within layers, my friends.
0: Yeah. I I I'll just I'll I'll just go to my final thoughts and then uh, I think we're I think we're pretty much unless you have anything else like really extra you want to add in here Dan um.
1: no the the that's the uh, I just uh, one more thing uh, Robert, Smigel, to, oh, really? love,
0: <laughs> okay. Robert Smigel as the dentist Oh really Robert
1: Smigel is the dentist just just throw that in there um uh, I think P T Anderson had directed some of the shorts that Robert Smigel was doing okay, on SNL at yeah. that time and just um. They they just he said hey come be in this movie, um just couldn't couldn't let this go without uh, actually saying that Robert Smigel is is great in his one scene. Now our dentists our dentist,
2: dentist, our dentist under oath or not?
1: I'm pretty sure any medical professional is uh you know can't uh can't reveal details like that. Oh oh he screwed up he
2: screwed yeah. up he screwed
1: Well up. but he's not working in his uh he's not working in his professional
0: capacity in that moment I guess you know. Yeah because like, because isn't a patient you know. Yeah there the Barry's asking. Barry's asking for psychological advice and he's like, I'm a dentist, Barry. What the fuck do you want from me? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, um, I I thought this was really good. I was pleasantly surprised when I watched it. I mean, I'll fully admit, I was just kind of avoiding it because it's like, okay, Adam Sandler movie and I don't really want to watch an Adam Sandler movie, but I mean if you're going to watch an Adam Sandler movie, this is probably the one to watch. Um, I really appreciate the fact that this is kind of a Romantic comedy where the barriers between the two characters are actually psychological and not a comedy of fucking errors, you know, uh, which is very, I mean, some it works, it definitely works in classic comedies, but it gets really fucking old really fucking quick if you see it all the time. I think the psychological problems of the main characters are much more interesting and much more believable to some degree than just everyone falling and, Fucking misunderstanding each other and all this other bullshit. So I, I really like that. I'm definitely gonna rewatch it a couple times because there's a lot more going on visually and uh, just with the soundtrack and all that other stuff. Um, yeah, I really liked it, and I'm uh, glad you suggested it, man.
1: I'm glad you enjoyed it. I was I was afraid uh, I was afraid you wouldn't quite honestly, and then I would have to. Uh Defend the film, but I, I really didn't have to defend it. I was just like, no, no, we all, we all, even uh, Paul got something out of it, even though uh, I didn't get anything uh, out of uh, it. Fuck off. Yeah. The eighteen <laughs> right.
0: minutes, the eighteen minutes he watched of it, he, he got yeah, something
1: yeah. of it. No, that's fine. He liked the little dance Adam Sandler did in the, in the middle.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and
1: the uh, the crowbar scene, you know. So there we go. Yeah, and the it, violence it, is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I have anything. I mean, I, I've I've gone through the 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 big picture. You know, I could I could dig this apart almost line by line and talk about it, but there's no need to do that. Go see it if you haven't. Um, it's phenomenal stuff, and uh, I think it grows on
0: me every time I watch it, honestly. Yep, streaming free on Netflix. Uh, Paul, what were any final thoughts on this one?
2: If you're going to watch an um, Adam Sandler film, <clears throat> excuse me, don't watch this film. Uh, if you're in the mood to watch an Adam Sandler film, don't watch this film. If you're in the mood to watch a simple love joining couple bullshit film, watch Serendipity. Um, if you are going to want to sit down and uh, decompartmentalize a film and really understand, you know, psyche, you know, psychic problems or psychiatric problems and things like that, and and piece apart the human and mental capacity and people, I mean, like really, really get into a film that uh, that picks apart the mental state of people in trouble or having handicaps or understanding the world or having problems dealing with a lot of uh, social problems, then this is the film that you should actually sit and watch and and learn from and look at. Other than that, you should probably stay away from it because it's not your everyday watcher and there's no Julianne Moore's fucking tits.
1: <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. Yep. I was I, I was so expecting to say you should really watch Last House on the Left like that would be too <laughs> if you really
2: want to if you really want to watch the if you really want to watch something with the um the socio economical problems and the mental capacity of people and this and tits watch Last House at the Edge of the Park
1: okay, okay. <laughs> keep that in mind
2: there you go it's all their fart it's all their fault come on you wanted to do it slut there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but uh, I mean, I did get at something out of this film. Don't get me wrong, it's just not. It's forever. it's not
1: your film. It's, it's, it's not your film. It's, 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 I mean, it's not for. It's. I mean, not
2: not not saying I didn't get something out of it. Like you know, like saying it is not my film. But I did get a lot of stuff out of it for what I watched. It's not a film that you will see the name Adam Sandler and go, oh, I want to watch an Adam Sandler film. No, hold up there. No, 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 it's not not that long. long. Imagine Bill Murray and then watch Lost in Translation and go, oh, that was shitty. Well, guess what? This one's going to be shitty too. But if you want to actually watch something like, uh, oh, fuck, what's the one with the professor that I can't remember that had autism?
0: Oh, uh, a sim- uh, beautiful mind.
1: Beautiful mind. If you want to watch beautiful mind, watch
0: this film. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, this is a much better film than beautiful mind. Beautiful mind yeah. is actually not, not very really good at all. But
0: you know. And did you just trash Lost in Translation? Because I yeah. can't forgive you that one. Yeah, because that was shit. Oh god, that's a that's a whole different discussion.
1: Well, we're gonna have to review Lost in Translation next. Yeah. So that's just the way it goes. Yeah, but but that's, my, that's that's my wrap up. <laughs>
0: all right. Uh, all right. So uh, Dan, talk tell us about your Doctor Who podcast.
1: Sure. If you uh, like to listen to me talk about um, art house films and uh, get deep in the details, deep in the weeds of uh, you know some psychological issues and uh, complexity, then you should not listen to my Doctor Who podcast, where we mostly no, we kind of do the same thing. Uh, my wife and I do a Doctor Who podcast, classic and new series. You can find it at Oyspaceband. Com. That's Oyspaceband, all word. dot uh, right now we're doing series nine, and uh, we're gonna finish up Tom Baker by the end of the year. So that's gonna be uh, great times. And uh, Lee's gonna come back on it here in the next uh, few weeks, I think. So uh, awesome.
2: Yeah. Can you wear a beautiful scarf like Tom Baker? I, I have one. I, I have one. Yeah. You should both wear them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just too bad no one will fucking see it. Uh, well, if you do it
1: live, so I can I'll see do it. A, I'll, I'll
0: do it. will I'll do will
1: do a YouTube version just once. Just for I will home. watch it. I will. <laughs>
0: All right, Paul. Where can people find you on the interweb?
1: PA Brew News, one word on YouTube.
2: Funeral. Six 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 on YouTube. New page here. Back Mountain dyI on YouTube, um, and then on Facebook PA Brew News. Back Mountain Arts and Crafts and then Funeral Dust. So there you go.
0: All right, and then uh, I'll get the uh I'll get the Back Mountains Arts Arts and Crafts on our uh PodBean page too. We'll link Thank you. Up. So Hey uh
2: Danny Hicks likes it. Okay. <laughs> from from uh, Evil Dead 2
0: and Intruder. Oh really?
1: Yeah, he likes nice.
0: it. Nice. Nice. Uh and Paul actually does pretty good paintings. So uh He does, worth.
1: surprisingly so for someone with no soul. Thank you. you. Know. <laughs> I mean, none, none of us have any soul, but for someone who you know has no artistic integrity at all, you know, he actually his paintings are pretty good. Go check him out. Thank
0: <laughs> you. And I think uh, I think uh, the best way to end off would be uh, that song from Popeye. There. Yeah, there,
1: there's no question. That's the way to end. <laughs>
0: Alright guys, uh, thanks for listening. Thank you Dan and Paul for joining me and uh, we'll catch you guys next time which is going to be Vampiros Lesbos.
1: Looking forward to it. Can't wait.
3: For once, for once in life, I finally felt that someone needed me.
0: Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We Listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through.